0: Blog Talk Radio This is Cale Brown. Now I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will
1: prescribe Brandon's Buzz for Absolutely, anybody who wants to know what's really going on Hey guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live And you're listening to
0: Brandon's Buzz This is Taylor Dane And you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz It's the great entertainment talk show on now Brandon, I love you, thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano I'm on Brandon's Buzz And I have to tell you What a fun hour I just had Ah. Uh, This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz.
1: Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Thursday, September 22nd, 2011. It's 10 p.m. in the west, in the east, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and it's a bittersweet thrill to be back with you on this particular occasion, but a thrill nonetheless. You know, tomorrow afternoon, indeed a little more than 12 hours from now, uh, ABC's all-time classic soap, All My Children, will air its 10,712th and final episode, at least in its current form, and I say current form because indeed, uh, all My Children is slated to continue as an online soap early next year But regardless of what happens on that front That version of All My Children seems destined to look, feel, and be Radically different from the version that we've all come to know and love for the past 42 years And, uh, you know, I tell you, there's nobody with whom I'd rather sit Shiva than this lady right here She is an icon of soap journalism and a very good pal of this program uh, Who has written under the nom de plume of Marlena De La Croix for the past 22 years and she happens to count All My Children as her all-time favorite soap, and she's come by the buzz for her eighth appearance to explain exactly why. Please make welcome one more time the utterly fabulous Connie pasolacqua Heyman.
0: Hi, Brandon. It's great to speak with you again, although I think we have to stop meeting like this at the end of all these.
1: Boy, I tell you, you know, know, it's so funny because last time, not the last time you were here, but you were here last September to mark the end of As the World Turns, and I remarked at that time that, you know, it was becoming something of a tradition with us, and, you know, you said at that time that, that you thought maybe we were done for a while, and, and clearly it was just wishful thinking, but I actually believed you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was really a shock. I mean, the fact that they canceled all my children, one life to live, really, really, when I, I, I canceled some of the worst shocks of my life, and especially all, especially right now, all my children, it's really, really sad. I mean, I've been in all-my-children fanatics since it Premiered and up until maybe, you know, maybe like the late 90s, I always thought it was my favorite soap. But the fact that it's gone, I just can't get used to it or yeah, going. It's not gone yet, it won't be gone till tomorrow. So, here
1: we go again another September, another classic soap ending at the legendary run.
0: Yeah, it's really sad. I real I definitely have my tissues after this one.
1: You know, I want to start off with a bold statement here. This is something that you wrote. At the 25th anniversary of All My Children. Now, keep in mind, this was 15 years ago that you wrote this. And, and right. Hey, You're so you good at
0: doing your homework.
1: <laughs> I always do my homework with you. I have to.
0: Wish you were one of my students. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, uh, some of this no longer holds true, but, but uh, you know, this seems like as good a place as any to start. I quote Marlene De La Critical Condition, January 10, 1995. The column was All My Children, 25 Superlative Years. And you say, I feel... All My Children is the best daytime soap in history simply because during all that time, it's never had a bad year. I know because I've watched them all. Even if I stray, I always, always come home to Pine Valley.
0: You know, I think in 1995, that certainly uh, that certainly it was true. I think it's starting around 97 or so, they started having a lot of problems. But um, I always thought that the show was just full of quality, full of, Full of family, and it was always so intelligent, and it was always so funny, and it was always like a really great place to be, and there was always so much intelligence going on in Pine Valley, and it was a place that you could always count on. But I think that that stopped holding true about a year or two later.
1: So even with you know all the ups and downs of recent years, do you still believe that it was the best Open history?
0: Well, I think so. I really do because I think that their you know their first twenty five or twenty seven years were just thrilling and that they never really had a down period they never really had a period where you said oh no i don't want to watch this anymore it was always supremely watchable and supremely entertaining why because it was intelligent there was never a moment where people were dumbed down until at least maybe the late you know maybe the late 90s and even then they weren't dumbed down that much but there was always an intelligence and a vision and that of course was agnes nixon and You know, having the great fortune to have interviewed her many times and getting to know her, you could see that it was all her. You could tell when she was writing the show and when she wasn't writing the show. And she was writing the show up until 97. So, you know, there was always somebody there behind the show with a vision, and that's why I think the show was so great.
1: Marlena Delacroix, same column. From the beginning, the already ultra-experienced Agnes Nixon knew the basic elements of soap opera like no one else, and she endowed all my children with the chassis of a Rolls Royce. The themes of love and family have always been at AMC's core. A young love story has always been front burner. And throughout AMC's history, the use of socially relevant soap plots have had their best and bravest presentation on television. And, you know, you go on to list Erica's abortion, uh, you know, when the whole country was just beginning to get hit to that issue. You list the Vietnam War. You list Sidney uh, Chandler battling AIDS. Things right. That
0: They've always had a, a formula, but social issues have always been the... Uh their most distinguishing point because there's been millions of stories since the beginning, so many, you know, and so many because they basically came out of Agnes's very liberal heart. Absolutely. She always had an opinion on current, and still does have, have an opinion on current society. Something that she wanted to say and she used the soap as her forum. and though other soaps have copied that and other soaps um, have, do do socially relevant stories, she always did the best socially relevant stories. And All My Children Was Always her Showcase, and I know that she's very, very proud of it.
1: And you can look back. I mean, you can can look at the gay storylines. You can look at the autism, drunk driving, racism, alcoholism. uh, You know, just as you say, there aren't many programs in the history of television, nighttime or daytime, that have this show's verifiable track record of tackling, you know, the very issues that Americans themselves were grappling with. No, I mean,
0: she gave Erica, you know, an abortion right after the 1973 decision, and that was – Really, really controversial because Erica was the first woman on television—not not all of television, not alone prime time—to have an abortion and at the time. It was still very, very controversial, and that was just one of the one of the first issues. And then she just went on and on and on, you know, using all her characters: drunk driving, racism, AIDS, wife abuse was always, was a great sure. storyline. There were so many of them. It's almost hard to it's almost hard to count them, though. that's how many there were. They all came out of Agnes's liberal heart. She wanted to tell a story, but she also wanted you to think, and that's why all my children to me was always the greatest self because it made you think.
1: And yet it wasn't she didn't she didn't pound you over the head with it. I mean, she wanted to she wanted to inform and she wanted to educate, but she also wanted to entertain.
0: No, I mean, you really cared about the characters that had the afflictions. For example, when Cindy uh had AIDS in the night, late 80s, I mean, you really cared about her because she was Stewart's great love. Sure. And you really loved Stuart, so you had to love Cindy and you had to, you know, really emphasize with the fact that Cindy had AIDS and was going to die so young, and she had a young son that you had to really worry about. So, you know, in terms of not hitting you over the head, she always carefully imbued the stories with character.
1: As you said, you've been, you've been fortunate to, you know, know Agnes a little bit, and, and you know, Agnes has created and or worked on lots of soaps. <laughs> Do you have any insight about why her heart always seemed to be attached to All My Children in a way that it never seemed to be with One Life or with Loving, what she also created?
0: Well, I think that she was always attached to everything that she wrote, but I think that All My Children was, I once asked her, I said, well, who, whose children are they? And she said, mine, and I really think that they were as close to her as her her own family. As you know, she's a mother of four, and she's very, very a very loving mother, and I think that that's how she felt about All My Children, that this was her show and that, she had started this show from the ground up and stayed with it virtually her entire career. And, you know, the other shows she kind of came and went from, but this show was one that she always stayed with.
1: Do you have a sense of why? I mean, do you have a sense of, was it just the... I
0: think she was of enormously...
1: Me of the characters, or do you... I
0: think she was just enormously proud of, of how much she had achieved on that show and how much a hit. That show was really a hit almost from the start. And I think that their ratings were really high, so I think that that's the one that she really put most of her effort into because it was a consistent hit.
1: And was the quality high immediately, or did it take her some time to fumble around and? and no, and, I
0: think it. I, I think it really started out on a high note because she had this wonderful love story with Tara and Phil and Tara and and Jeff, and she also she had the story about you know her, one of her characters, Amy, was against the Vietnam War, and when she started the. The South, which was 1970, that was a, a great time where there was a great sentiment against the Vietnam War. So she really started off with it, with the, the word hot topics before that became kind of like a hot way to say things. You know, she really had a big love story and a big social issue story right off the bat.
1: You can't talk about this show without talking about Susan Lucci, and and you once claimed in print that you are the world's leading Lucciologist and that you've written more words on Lucci than any other living American journalist.
0: Probably, because about the time that that Susan Lucci – Susan Lucci had a whole second career around the time I started writing about soaps, and she started doing a lot of TV movies, so people would always call me and say, well, would you like to write about Susan's TV movies and also the whole race to the Emmys? I mean, that that was pretty much the prime time of my career, and I must have done a hundred thousand, you know, Lucci ever win the Emmy stories. I mean, when she won the Emmy, it almost ended my career <laughs> because no, it didn't end my career, but it, you know, it it was just such a great story, and everybody wanted a Lucci story because nobody knew anything about soap operas in the regular media except for Susan Lucci, and it was a great story, because every year it would roll around, and every year they would say, oh, will she lose again, and it was just a great story. Poor Susan. I don't know how she put up with it, <laughs> except for the fact that it got her fabulous, fabulous publicity.
1: <laughs> Talk to me about her value. Talk to me about what she gave this show that it might not otherwise have had. I mean, why She's did she superstar.
0: become... She's a superstar. There's no way to explain it. You know, sometimes when you see someone in person... They just have a sparkle, and you say, "Aha! This is a star. Well, this this is a superstar." And Erica was such a irresistible character. She was just so shrewish, but on the other hand, she had a heart. And and I think that the big secret behind Erica's story was a lot of Erica was uh, Agnes Nixon's own uh, growth, and you know her own her her own background she instilled in Erica. So Erica really was so much part of Agnes, and Agnes was so much part of Erica. <laughs> so that the two of them are forces of nature so put together they were just a star
1: and was that an instant thing or was it something that kind of evolved gradually uh, in terms of No, America? I
0: think it happened all, it happened all along because Agnes grew up without a father and Erica grew up without a father and you know Agnes kind of grew up in Nashville kind of in a you know she she didn't really grow up in a big big city and she always wanted to be an actress and she always had these great loggings and so did Erica and she always had a big ego. I think uh, Erica had a big ego. I don't know if Agnes had one, but she was always determined to succeed, and that was always the backbone behind Erica. I will be Erica Kane. I mean, she said that when she was seventeen. The way she says it now, that she's in her sixties.
1: Do you have a sense of why Lucci became this industry's marquee star? I mean, was it just the, the magic of the character? Was it her talent? Was it all it was of the above? I mean, what's probably
0: the- a combination. Like, well, first of all, she's a great beauty. I mean, she really is the, the most beautiful woman and she just has a sparkle to her but erica everybody has a little bit of erica in them everybody wants to be someone and she kind of became a cult figure in the 70s i remember i used to sneak down in the in the student union of the college i went to just to watch her because she was just such a hoot she was also very funny and that's one of the reasons that all my children again has always been the best hope because erica was a hoot she was always kind of like a put-on you know, she almost was was campy at the same time that she was serious. And that was, you know, very rare on soap and very rare on television.
1: I quote Critical Condition Marlena Delacroix. Let's see, the date is May 29, 1990. I'm one who sincerely believes the humorous, larger-than-life qualities of a character like Erica Kane can't be fairly compared with the straight melodrama of characters like Kim Zimmer's Revo on Guiding Light or Erica Slazak's Vicky on One Life to Live. Uh, Both types of performances are entertaining, like Apples and Oranges. Reva's and Eden's and Julia's and Nikki's are phenomena, but Erica endures.
0: Yeah, because as I said, Erica was funny. She really had a campiness to her that you really couldn't find with the other characters. I mean, I can't believe I actually had the gall to compare them all at the time. We had (laughs) such a a richness of, of leading ladies. Now we don't have it anymore, but... You know, the loss of Eric Kane off of the America scene is gonna be a great one because Susan Lucci still has that allure, she still had that campiness, she still was larger than life. I mean, she's the only woman that looked younger than me even when I was old even though she's older older than me. I mean look at her at sixty three, she looks fantastic. She
1: still looks terrific.
0: She still looks terrific and she's a size minus zero. I mean, there's nobody smaller than her in America <laughs> and she could wear like the greatest clothes and she still looks like a million bucks. She is a star, and <laughs> stars are very, very rare to find.
1: You mentioned the the uh, the Emmy thing, and you spilled quite a lot of ink over Susan's dalliances with that elusive Emmy over the years. Uh, why did that become such a story to the point that it began to overshadow not only her talents as an actress but the talents of
0: because it was people something, who
1: actually it, did it, win those awards all those because
0: years. Because it was something in American Life. I mean, we're all frustrated over something, and Susan's frustration because she really was the only known actress outside of daytime I and. Mean, how could the woman who was the only known actress out of daytime lose the Emmy year after year after year after year? People wondered what was wrong. What was the secret? Why did she keep losing?
1: And why did she? I mean, what, was it the campiness that you talked about? Was it the...
0: I, I think that a lot of people construed that the campiness was a lack of acting talent. And I think that, you know, Rolucci, like everybody else, grew into the role. And her talent was really being funny and being campy, whereas... To win the Emmy, you have to be dramatic. You know, you have to be like Riva Shane. You have to jump sure. in the fountain. And you have to, like, you know, cry and pull your hair out. And Erica's talent was being hilarious. And that's something that the awards did not reward. And, and actually, when she won, they gave her a storyline where she basically had to tear her hair out. That was, a, a Bianca was uh, not eating, and I think that she was sick. And her, the, her mother, she had to nurse her daughter back to health, and that's the year she finally won. It was also the year of the clone, which nobody believes on guiding light. I didn't realize that until I read Kim Zimmer's autobiography, that Kim Zimmer was pretty much out of it that year because everybody laughed at her clips. So Lucy got very lucky that year.
1: And to be fair, I mean, she was magnificent in that storyline. She was absolutely she was
0: wonderful in that story, really wonderful. But it was the kind of story which won Emmys. It was the sure. kind of story.
1: But, you know, so she, I mean, the, 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 the thing that, that always... Bug me at the and, you know, looking back on it, it still bugs me. The, the perception became that she was a loser, not that she was one of the five best actresses in daytime year after year after year. I mean, the perception became that, you know, she was a loser. Well,
0: it was just something that got into the American vernacular, you know. I mean, you know, there's always somebody, somebody or something that's a loser, and it was something that, but on the other hand, every year she would do publicity about it, and she became a winner because people knew her, and it, it really made her famous.
1: Marlena Delacroix, May 29, 1990, The Trouble with Susan. To the rest of the world, the daytime Emmys are not a celebration of excellence in daytime, but the annual installment in the Lucci Loses show. Every time I'm assigned a story on the daytime Emmys, editors stipulate that what I really cover is not the hundreds of fine actors who are up for the awards every year, but whether or not Lucci cries when she loses. Lucci's annual Emmy loss is not only her humiliation, but the worst possible black mark against the entire soap industry. It demeans her and us. For a medium that has struggled so hard for so long to win respect in the entertainment world, Lucci's loss is an annual travesty, and the lavish attention given to her loss puts us all down.
0: It's true because people, you know, are still laughing at soap operas, saying, "Oh, they're so stupid." You know, why should their why should their leading lady, you know, win an award? Oh, you know, she's just a soap opera diva. Who cares about that? So it really was a black mark against the entire industry. I can't believe I was so outspoken. That seems so long ago. Marlene is the Queen of
1: outspokenness. Don't you remember that? I
0: remember that, yes, I still am
1: <laughs> and you know the the funny thing is uh, after lucci won the Emmy the the ratings for that for that broadcast plummeted, and you know i mean uh, it's it's up to smarter people than me to figure out if there's a correlation between the two but it it is a funny ironic uh fact
0: it is you know it is i I think that you know that was pretty much the epitome of the daytime Emmys you know that year, I think also. That was around when daytime, the daytime Emmys were, you know, very, very popular as right? so all of daytime was. I mean, I think that was the peak of when there were all the daytime magazines and uh, the the viewership was really up. So it kind of coincides with the high point before the low. So, what do you make of
1: Susan finally speaking out and and you know adding a, a final epilogue to her to the paperback version of her of her autobiography, which came out this year? What do you make of her? Finally
0: well, I out? I think that she's basically the spokesperson for everybody on the show, and I think she felt it was her obligation to express all the disappointment because they really wasted that show. The show didn't have to be canceled. They really didn't have to have the terrible downward. You because know, it wasn't the network's favorite. And I think that Susan was always the ultimate politician. She never spoke out. She never said a bad thing about anyone for sure. 41 years. And then all of a sudden I really think she felt like it was not her obligation to the rest, rest of the cast and also for Agnes, who was treated very badly. And I think that Mr. Franz was never an All My Children fan. And I'm not
1: sure he was ever really a Susan Lucci fan. I'm not sure he ever really got her allure.
0: Well, he's not you know, I mean, I knew Brian in the old days. I mean, there's a lot of things about him but he's not stupid. But I just don't think he it was his personal favorite and he's a a guy that played a lot by his personal favorites. I'm not sure, I don't think anybody dislikes Lucci. And he can couldn't deny her star power. I mean, she meant a lot of money for the bottom line. Phil and Tara,
1: Greg and Jenny, Jesse and Angie, Tad and Dixie, Julia and Noah, Haley Mateo, Greenlee Leo. I mean, is it fair to say that one of the unsung keys to this show's success, over the, particularly in its glory years, has always been the brilliant way it created those star-crossed young lovers that you just couldn't wait to watch?
0: Yeah, Agnes was really always into young love, and she knew that people, you know, that there were a lot of young people that watched the show, and even the older people, everybody loves young lovers, and she always had the best. Well, that, that group that you just read, they were always really great love stories, and that's the backbone of any soap. She rarely missed. She maybe had one or two misses in 41 years, and that's pretty good. She had dozens and dozens of great young couples. I mean, Cliff and Nina, Jenny and Greg, no one could ever replicate that. You know, I mean, there were so many young lovers, and that was really the mark of that show. They really knew how to do them.
1: And why on earth did they did they decide to stray away from that formula? I mean, why on earth?
0: Well, I don't know. Starting around 97, I don't know if you had that in my old clips. It was a big, you know, the show kind of strayed away from its roots and really got into a lot of gimmicky things. So I'm not quite sure, but they still had young lovers. They still had, like, Ryan and the string of of women and Greenlee and a string of men. But but they weren't weren't
1: iconic the way the the people I named were and the way they were in this show's... Uh, salad days. No,
0: they weren't. That's because they weren't really written by Agnes. They were written by other people. You know, Agnes really, really knew how to do it, and the people that came after her were not as skilled at it as she was.
1: Agnes's talent. I mean, you know, she she has trained, you know, Lorraine Broderick and and uh, Hal Corley and you know a, a string of people. But can her talent be taught? I mean, is that something that is? Is that something that can be, you know, shown to somebody and and replicated, or is it just something that...
0: Well, Agnes is a great great teacher, but it's also her personality. She's also a really magical person and really has a lot of great aspects to her that, you know, it, it has to do with basically who you are. You know, if you watched the shows, you could see the personalities of the people who wrote them. At least in the old days, you could. You know, think of Jim Royley and and think of Passions and the things that he was really into comedy. So he made a comedy soap opera. Or Doug Marlins who you always knew
1: when you were watching a Doug show.
0: Doug show. So you always knew. You know. So it's very hard to transmit exactly who you are. But Agnes was a great teacher and taught. You know, many many generations of writers how to write.
1: You know, it, it, it's funny. Uh, of course, all the soaps have managed to you know, uncover great talent, but it, it seems as though if you look at all my children through the years, I mean, Kelly Rippa, Lauren Holly, Sarah Michelle Geller, Josh Dumel, I mean, you know, even if you look at people like Peter Bergman and Maurice Bernard and Billy Miller and, you know, Jeff Branson, who have all gone on from All My Children to land Emmy-winning roles on other soaps, I mean, it seems as though they had magic in the water over there.
0: Well, they also had great casting directors. I think that that's really what it really comes down to, is that they had all the first picks of the New York talent, and their casting directors, I think Judy Bly wilson was the most recent, but there were others before her, and they were really good at casting. I think their casting was pretty much the best on all of daytime. So they really had a, a, a sea of people to look at, and they picked the best.
1: And if you look at all the Broadway talent who came in for, you know, day player roles and recruits. Right.
0: I mean, they were in New York. That was, you know, to me, you know, all my children was always the quintessential New York soap and the fact that they did take all these day players from Broadway and they did take people, you know, who were from the New York theater scene, I once said that, and somebody from California got really mad at me, but I really do believe that, I think that was Jonathan Reiner, hi Jonathan, anyway, um, seriously, when he moved to California, but uh, there's just such a rich pool of talent in New York, and they were always, always, always casting day players from Manhattan, you know, from the Manhattan theater scene, that really made this very very rich, like Chib Zan, he was this guy that was always on, and... You know, just people—people people who were really always doing theater—so it really enriched the show.
1: And if you look at people like Mike, Michael Nader and John James and, and uh, Jack Scalia, who they managed to lure from primetime and film.
0: Right. They managed, to, you know, as the years went by, they managed. Just they had to, this terrible quest. They had to find a, a leading man for Erica, and that was very, very difficult because, you know, how many actors are there in New York? So they really had to really reach out to find people for. Susan Lucci, and a lot of them didn't come from, from and a lot of them didn't come from salts. So a lot of them came from prime time. Michael Miner, he had been on Petticoat Junction, and trying to think who else that they, you know, of course, Michael may started in daytime, but he had been in a lot of teen movies in Southern California. So they, Jack Scalia was definitely a California actor. They really had to cover the waterfront to find men for her. <laughs> Michael Murray... Who had started in soap, so it was basically during prime time when they brought him in. So, so there was always a quest: who are we going to get next to Erica?
1: Talk to me about Michael Knight. Yeah, I, you know, humor always seems to fall notoriously flat on soaps just because of the way they're structured by necessity. And and you know, but Michael is one of the few actors who's managed to create and sustain a lasting character on daytime, whose sense of humor is you know at the very core of who he is. I mean, is it possible to calculate his contributions to this show over the years?
0: No, because there's no one like him. There's very few actors, soap actors, that could do humor well. And he, he's just so vulnerable and that he could do, he's vulnerable, you know, very good at showing Ted's vulnerabilities because Tad is kind of, in the beginning, was football, you know, he was never Mr. Ego, and they were always they were always able to show his insides. And, you know, he always made a lot of mistakes, and the only way that he can get around those mistakes was his humor. So that he's a very unique actor and a very unique character. He could do anything.
1: I quote Marlena Delacroix once again, Critical Condition, December 29, 1992. Uh, Knight's Tad is the kind of character that's hard to describe, but let me try. If Deidre Hall's Marlena on Days of Our Lives represents the perfect woman that we all imagine ourselves to be, then Tad represents the imperfect person we actually are. He's so humanly fallible. Tad always means well, but somehow messes up everything he attempts. And even though Knight gives the role incredible humor, he always takes care to play Tad's sincerity straight.
0: It's true. He always played, you know, as I said, he played his vulnerability really well. The character, you know, never really took himself seriously. But, you know, when he was hurt, we were hurt. And, you know, he really had a 360 personality. in the fact that, you know, he could go out and, and get messed up and he would try, try, try again, and that's pretty much what we all do. So he really represented the average viewer, although certainly no one gets as messed up as Pat got messed up. But Pat always kept trying and trying and trying. You know, it's so fu- it's so funny you say that,
1: and I think it's certainly true. I think he, more than any other character, is really our way into the show.
0: Well, he's a very good actor. I mean, that's pretty. That's that's. It's not. You know. I mean, it really makes takes a good actor to create a character like that, and they were very lucky because they got him when he was very young, and. You know, he was on for a while and he went off and he did some movies. And, you know, they're very lucky that they got him back. So, you know, a lot of it really rests on his talent and his personality. Again, it's like Lucci. It's like one of a kind. There are so many one of a kinds on All My Children, and that's another reason why the show was always so so successful. I mean, think of Palmer. Could anybody have played Palmer but James Mitchell? You know, James Mitchell could do scary. He could do caring he could do elegant. I mean, he could do anything. They well, look do at David work.
1: Canary playing two characters. I mean,
0: right. I mean, how many people could do that? I mean, David Canary is the consummate actor. I um, interviewed David Canary for the uh, academy, the TV Academy, and I got to watch him act for a day, and it was just amazing. I mean, the man had amazing energy besides talent. I mean, there he was with all these all these actors who were 20 to 30 years younger than him, and he was stealing the show. So, again, there's only one of him, and All My Children was very lucky. Oh, the more I think think of it, all my it's like I'm getting choked up here. Really, re- they really had things that the other soaps did not have, but they really had these one-of-a-kind kind of characters that couldn't <clears throat> be replaced.
1: You know, if you look at someone like Darnell Williams or Debbie Morgan or...
0: You know, Darnell and Debbie, I mean, what a couple. I mean, they went for years and years and years. Even when Darnell left, there was always this magic. I mean, the two of them... Just tear down the house whenever nope. they had a storyline.
1: And and pick it back up years later, even after you know years apart. Yeah, and, right,
0: and... right. I mean, they were very, as I said, they were wonderful casting. They were got were both cast when they were very young, and I think that both basically knew how to act before they got on the show. But they really had a lot of exercise with those characters. They really, we really got to know them, and we really got to see their guts, even up to the last day of the, you know, to the latest storylines.
1: So where did it all go wrong for this show? I mean, you know, when you were here for the Guiding Light finale, you called, I'll, I'll never forget this, you called that show's demise Death by a Thousand Cuts. And I'm wondering if it's a similar story here. I mean, is it possible to go back and pinpoint where things started to go sour, or was it just a series of bad decisions that brought us to where we are?
0: Well, I think the show went sour basically when Agnes stopped writing it in in, in 97. um Megan McTavish came on, and she wrote well for a while, and all of a sudden she started doing all these really gimmicky plots, and I think that's when the show went wrong. Also, when they decided to really, really go younger and really go a little crazy and try to compete with the other selves, when all my children were just, all my children was fine, but when they tried to compete with other selves and do crazy storylines, they really veered in the wrong direction, like they once had Erica kidnap a child, and Erica (laughs) never kidnaps children. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I wrote a column about that, and Agnes Nixon herself came and wrote a column against it.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, because, you know, when the show veered, you know, the show had such a personality that when it veered off the wrong way, there I was to scream, you know. And it was a real honor to have Agnes scream back. (laughs) Not that Agnes screamed, but, you know, for her to write for us and to, you know, for the creator of a soap opera to answer a soap critic was really something.
1: You know the the uh, the heartbreaking thing here is that Guiding Light and even as the world turns, they were never really the jewels of of CBS's soap lineup the way that all my children used to be for ABC. Right,
0: right, and they really messed up by having all these awful writers, terrible, terrible writers, and they kept you know not having Agnes participate as much as she used to, and just some of the writing just was just terrible. Chuck Pratt, forget about it. You know, know, but I think that Megan really went very crazy when she was on All My Children. You know, I think she's on All My Children about seven times, but I think about the third time (laughs) things started getting really out of hand.
1: I've actually been trading emails with someone who was once a very high-ranking daytime executive at ABC, and and I've been itching to bring this person on this show specifically so that I can ask all these questions, you know, ask why certain decisions get made and got made. Right. They did. Oh, now I have
0: to guess who it is. (laughs) We all knew people at ABC very well,
1: but this was a very high-ranking person, and and uh, I uh, I think I've almost got this person convinced. So we'll see what happens, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to if it actually happens. You know, getting the answers to some of these questions about why decisions got made and get made the way they do.
0: Well, the problem at ABC was is that they had a wonderful, wonderful, fantastic daytime department. And they had really good people who made decisions. But as soon as the ratings started to go down in the early 90s, it got in the late 90s they started getting rid of everyone, and that's one of the reasons that ABC, you know, before Brian came, one of ABC declined. But they really had a fantastic thing going there for about 20 years in terms of promotion and writing, and they had a very solid staff, and they had people who were very dedicated to ABC. Daytime and they were wonderfully publicized. I mean, I must have done a million stories about all my children in one life. I mean, you know, the publicity NGH, was was N G H. The publicity was right. I mean, they used to bring us in on everything.
1: ABC's new governing mentality seems to be, and and Brian Franz has said it in, in about as many words as has Les Moonves and Jeff Zucker and a number of. Of other high ranking executives is that soaps are passe, soaps are over.
0: Right, they just stopped giving it attention. I mean, try to get somebody there on the phone. You couldn't, you know. But in the old days, you had people, they used to come to us all the time. You know, I can't count how many news conferences I I went to over at ABC. I can't count how many times the publicist called me or took me on remote or had me interview some of the people. I mean, it was really. You know, a full-ditch effort to really make their subs well-known, and they did a great job, but that stopped.
1: Is it true, I mean, could it possibly be true that that whatever audience remains for anybody in the daytime hours is primarily looking for mindless, cheap, innocuous programming? I mean, is that...
0: No, not at all. People are always looking for intelligent programming. They don't want to waste their time. I mean, that's why you have to, like, say, what is this with the chew? Is it's is it, is it, is it a program that's about how to boil water. I mean, talk about mindless. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I I, I don't want to have to be told every night how to make dinner. I know how to do that. Is that enough I have to do it? So I have to watch shows about it? I want escapism. I want romance. Out of the everyday life, I don't want to know about arugula.
1: <laughs> ABC seems to be betting pretty hard that... I mean, if you look at the empirical evidence, I mean, it's clear. The the view gets twice as many eyeballs as as any of the daytime soaps. Right. They seem to be betting pretty hard that people will want to, you know, turn this on and, and be able to do other things and watch this show and, you know, go on with their lives without having to invest in you know, day after day after day you're following a story. And I, I, I wonder if there's any truth to...
0: I don't know. I think they're, like, setting themselves to jump out of an airplane because I don't think they know where they're going with this show. I mean, it's just done a lot of heavy promotion, but it doesn't seem like from a day-to-day planning, like, what does it have? What is it to look forward to? I mean, Mario Batali's ponytail? I mean, it just doesn't seem to me to be much of something that to cling on to the way that soaps were.
1: It seems to me that there's a finite number of things that they can attack with this show, and, and once they exhaust all of those avenues, where do they go with it?
0: Right. Me, too. I mean, it's up to them. I mean, it's not my problem anymore. And then, you know, what really tops it off is the show that's supposed to replace One wants to Live is Diet Show. So you've got a food show and a <laughs> diet show. Does that make any sense to anybody? <laughs>
1: We're hearing that Agnes has designed the series finale to end on a cliffhanger, so that when it resumes in January, the audience has that extra bit of incentive to, you know, tune back in and see how it all resolves itself. Is that is that a smart move? Given that final episodes are generally all about closure and you know tying up. Well,
0: usually, but they've got to they've got to entice people to the Prospect Park version. They've got to come up with something that you know. There's three months, which is a long time. You know, I watch a lot of the summer shows and. Summer shows are a year apart. I mean, this is only three months, but three months is a long time. They've got to have something that bridges the gap. So I guess that's why they've come up with this uh, big cliffhanger. Do
1: you have a sense of how they're going to end this? I mean, do you have a sense of...
0: No, something with violence. I don't know. You know, I think maybe J.R. goes crazy and tries to shoot everybody. I don't know. I can't see them ending on such a, a negative note, but they're going to have to end with something negative.
1: You know, if you look back and and, and you remember Capital ended with Sloan facing a firing squad. Oh,
0: yeah, I was there the day they taped that.
1: Generations ended with someone having a heart attack. I can't remember who, but... Oh, I didn't remember that.
0: But the thing is, you know, those those went into nothingness. This is going to go into an entirely new show.
1: You have to believe that Prospect Park is going to use every single weapon at their disposal to make the new incarnations of these shows, you know, smashing success. I mean, you have to believe that they're going to strongly embrace social media, which ABC has stubbornly refused to do, and... You have to believe they're going to try to create new revenue streams, you know, in terms of merchandising. And well, it depends DVD. how
0: smart they are. They seem to be very smart. But the thing is, they could do anything with these shows. They could make them better. They could make them worse. They could make them better than they ever was. Or On the other hand, they could make all the mistakes that the networks have, have known how to steer around all these years. So they're really in a very vulnerable position. Anything could happen, and I think that that's something that we should all think about. And you know, hopefully, as I've written, you know, they they're going to produce these shows on a very high quality note because they do some very high quality shows, uh, like they do Royal Pains, which is a really, really a high quality show. You have to hope that they maintain the quality. So, but so, literally anything could happen.
1: It does seem clear that they know how to hire smart people and let them do their jobs. Well, no, they're smart. The they've
0: got they've got Frank Valentini. He's very smart, and they've got Agnes. So. They very smart. But they've hired the smartest people so far, but you know it's still very it's still evolving. They seem to be announcing new people every couple of days. I'd like to know who who they're going to get to write these shows.
1: You have to imagine that Agnes can't sustain her level of of energy right now for the what she has right now forever. I mean, you, you have to. Imagine no,
0: she's eighty three years old. I think that move. I think that that Lorraine is going to be involved also.
1: And you know, there's a there's a, a wealth of talent available. I mean, I don't know how. How many of them are interested in, in, in working on an, an Internet show and, and, you know, you don't know what the budget's going to be and you don't know?
0: Everything is up in the air. It's, it's amazing. You know, I think the, the one thing that's been up in the air is that they've got to have a lot of money to pay all these people what the network pays them. This is a huge investment.
1: And benefits and union protection and, you know, all of the stuff they got. Right.
0: And the question is, are they even doing it with the union? Who knows? You know, it might be a totally different situation than it was at ABC. That's why they spent all this time doing negotiations.
1: Like I said, there's all kinds of intangibles that have yet to be answered or even addressed.
0: Right. I mean, you know, what are these folks going to be with that network support? And will Process Park give them that support? Will they give them publicity? You know, will they give them uh, as much care on an on, on, on an overall basis? There are so many different, as you said, so many intangibles. So what's it's, your
1: gut feeling? I mean, will they be able to turn these shows around and make them successful all over again? What is your?
0: I don't know. It depends on a lot of things. It depends on first of all whether or not people will pay for them. I mean, they've got you know they're not going to go they're not going to go unless people spend money on you know they haven't even told us yet what they're going to cost or when they're going to be on. Again, anything could happen. I hope that they make them great. I mean, I don't want to stop watching those shows. You know, I intend to pay the money and 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 see what they're going to do. And you know, again, they have the greatest opportunity. They could make the greatest subs that ever was. On the other hand, they could make junk. So, you know, we're just going to have to see what they're going to do. But they can't do anything unless they're they're making money from their subscribers.
1: So you've watched the show for every one of its 42 years. Either. Right. I
0: started watching it when I was in college. I would, As I said, I would sneak down to the student union. I would watch it downstairs. Erica somehow got me through the day in, in, in <laughs> kind of a bleak, bleak college campus. So I, I could watch the show pretty much from the beginning.
1: Tell me the ultimate legacy of all my children. What did, what did it mean to you and what did it mean to the people who it's have loved It's home.
0: It? Pine Valley was a real place and Pine Valley was funny and Pine Valley was intelligent. I think that this was always a very intelligent until recently a very intelligent soap. So I think that's what the legacy is, is that intelligence and heart are two things you really need to do with soap. And all my children always had intelligence and heart. That's their legacy. And also the social issues which really mark it above, you know, the other shows.
1: You wrote in 1999 that last episodes always make you cry. Is that still true, and and if so, are you going to be a wreck tomorrow afternoon when this is all over?
0: Well, maybe. I'm surprised because the ones this week with all the families haven't really gotten to me that much. I just I can't believe that it's going to be over. I can't believe that it's going to be 1 o'clock on Monday and I'm going to have nothing to tune to. So probably it depends on, I guess, how sensitively written the last episode is. You know, if they're going to go straight to my heart, they're really going to make me cry.
1: Sure. We'll see what happens. Well, you know, Agnes is involved, so she she seems to know the, the strings to pull.
0: Oh, yeah. She she knows her theater, that's for sure. And so does Lorians. But um, I'm just curious, you know, what they're going to do on that last show tomorrow because they've already reviewed all the families. I'm just curious, besides their cliffhanger, what they're going to be doing.
1: Uh, what else are you watching this fall? I mean, are, are you watching the other shows? Are you watching One Life?
0: Oh, well, One Life has been very hot, very, very hot. I'm sorry they killed off the second Todd, because when they had the two Todds they seemed to really be in the outer atmosphere. You know, it's the best they've been in a long, long time. Yeah, and I, I've been watching the other ones, and General Hospital is certainly different. They have new writers, and they've kind of, like, moved away from that Sonny is everything school and gone back to the hospital. So it's been very interesting.
1: To his advantage.
0: I think so. They've kind of made Sonny finally to look like the thug that he really is. He's not such a hero anymore.
1: And they've lightened up Jason considerably.
0: Well, yeah, they kind of, you know, gave him another brain operation, that really helped. And they're gonna marry him off. That'll help too. But I don't know if they know which direction it's going in. I mean they had this one head writer, Darren Wolf, and then they're gonna be getting you know, I guess you know, as of now they're gonna be getting one call of Eddie from one Life, so who knows what direction they're gonna be going in.
1: What do you think of Roger Howard's return?
0: It's been amazing. Give that man an Emmy.
1: Absolutely. He's you know, been I w-
0: amazing. I w-
1: you know, I was never a huge fan of his, but Me neither. The work he's been doing lately with with Erica, with Florencia, with Trevor, I mean with Kristen.
0: He's uh, amazing. He's been, he's been it's amazing. amazing it's one of the most amazing performances ever on daytime. He could do anything. He's so funny and engaging and you really feel sorry for him and Rogers have been amazing. I hope they get him for Foster Park or else they're not they're not gonna have a show. <laughs>
1: You know, it's, when you were here back in May, I, I, we were talking about Days of Our Lives, and, and you know, I said something to the effect of they should really take this summer and, and you know, really pull it together so that when September comes, they're, they're ready to go and firing on all cylinders. And, and I'm not taking credit for this reboot that's coming up, but, uh, you know, it, it seems as though Ken and, and his team have really. Taking the heart, the idea that you know the Indians are falling around him, and he better step it up.
0: Well, I'm not a big, I'm not a day's follower, so I don't know what's been happening. I mean, I guess I'll watch to see Deirdre come back because I've done many articles on Deirdre in my lifetime, and I'm curious to see what her face looks like. To tell you the truth, that's a terrible thing to say. But but seriously, I mean, they bring they're bringing her back like the day that all my children goes off, so it's very smart. So I guess I'll tune in. But I can't see myself becoming a big fan of that show. I've never really been a big fan since the, of that show since the 70s. So I'm not, I don't know. But, but certainly they have quite a, a center stage at the moment. They've got quite the opportunity to take the ball and run with it.
1: And they're hyping it to the heavens.
0: Well sure, I mean look at look this is, they have no competition. This is the first time in their natural lifetime that they have no competition i mean they they have bold and beautiful and young and restless, but they have no a b c competition, so there's a huge audience up for grabs
1: absolutely and even though it's even though it has dwindled down to three million or so people, i mean that's still a a, a ginormous uh, in in television speak, especially in daytime television speak, that's oh the,
0: sure, that's a lot of people, and they they, they you know they really have the gauge now. They really have the, the 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 opportunity to clean up.
1: And what do you make of, of the number one show, of Young and the Restless? Are you?
0: It's boring. What a boring show. Ever since Paul left, Paul Roush, it's just been <laughs> really. It's not a bad show. It's, it's a good show, but it's it's just a boring show. I don't really see anything very sparkling about it and it doesn't really have anything that makes you want to tune in every day. I think that they really need some new writers or a new producer or something. They need a real shot in the arm. Absolutely.
1: It's funny they've they brought in Jeannie Francis and they've brought in Tristan Rogers. And, and they've
0: wasted them. What a have... waste. Whenever they're on screen I keep saying, oh, get off my screen. And when you think that they're the greatest actress that General Hospital had to offer up and and what did they do to Jeannie? They made her terrible.
1: I mean, it is fun to see Jeannie and, and Peter Bergman mixing it up because they're they're too Right,
0: of course.
1: But, it, it's just, but it's the amazing. character is there's, terrible. There's no a story there to match the talent.
0: No, certainly not. They'd, and, you know, John Aviv is just like this witch, and you don't know why, and and it's it's just very, very strange. And also it's very strange to see Jeannie with Tristan because Tristan was always, you know, the, the best friend of her co-star, not her co-star. I don't know. I mean, I want to like it because it's hardly anything less alike, and I do put it on and pretty much starts off my soap day, but I want it to be better. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I like Stephen Nichols, and, you know, I I, I like Eileen. I I like these actors. I've grown up with them, and I've seen them, and I still think they're really good, but you just want more of something, and you don't know what they need, but they need an infusion of romance or intrigue or something.
1: It's the the same with more West. I mean, they brought her in and, and did... Some right. Well, she was. And, I and, thought
0: she was very good when she was on. Did you? Uh,
1: you know, she was good, but the the I, it was I, it was the wrong character for her. I think.
0: Right. Well, they just made a made the new c-
1: character, or you know.
0: Yeah, they cast made her. the character so aimless. You know, I mean, she was just going from one man to the next, and didn't they didn't know what to seem what to do? They didn't seem what to do with her. But she's a good actress, and I think that came. That you know, the fact that she's really good definitely shone through on the show, and I was surprised when they killed her off. You know, and Victor keeps doing the same victory type things. <laughs> you know, there's nothing really all that new. It doesn't move. It's a show that basically is you know kind of stale.
1: Which is a shame because you know it, it is the crown jewel of CBS's lineup. It, it
0: is. It certainly is. And you know, at this point, how much how much do they have left?
1: Absolutely. Well, i tell you what, I have enjoyed speaking with you, as always. Oh, great. I uh, look forward to bringing you back here in January to discuss my old favorite one life to live. when it.
0: Oh, God, we're quiet. It's been hot, hasn't it?
1: You know I love having you back here, and I appreciate you coming back here always whenever I invite you.
0: Great. You're the best, Brandon.
1: You are the best, my darling.
0: Well, you're the best. Okay, thanks a lot.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Okay, bye-bye.
1: The fabulous Connie Heyman, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can one more time. If you're listening, you already know how to find the show but in case you don't, three places online. BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/Brandon'sBuzz is home base. It's mission control for this show. From there, you can listen to the show, you can download previous episodes of the show, you can send comments, you can send emails. It really is mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/Brandon'sBuzz. You can also find me at my blog, Brandon'sBuzz.com. Uh, from there. Any page at brandonsbuzz.com, at the top of the page, there is a blue button marked radio. You click that button. That takes you to a full radio archive of every episode of this show. This is number 85. This and all previous 84, including all eight of Connie Heyman's episodes, are in the full radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me at iTunes, guys. I'm on iTunes. Just uh, Just type "Brandon's Buzz" in the iTunes Music Store search box, scroll down to the podcast section, click on my logo from there, You can uh, download individual old episodes of this show as podcasts for playback on the device of your choosing, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the store. So I'm all over the internet. I'm on iTunes, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm everywhere. Google the words Brandon's Buzz and something, I swear, will pop up that points you in my direction. And as always, I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me And I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz.
0: Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind, so spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check hey it guys, out. Hey, guys,
1: this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi,
0: this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so if you feel that you just can't take it And your world is in what it seems Don't forget that life can be what you make it Baby, when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir, et à très bientôt.